May I have the envelope, please? May I have the envelope, please? The best picture of the year is... The best picture of the year. The best picture of the year. I am happy to announce that the winner is... The winner is... And the winner... The winner is... The winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Envelope Podcast. Here on the Envelope, we will be discussing and reviewing every Best Picture winner in the Academy Awards history. Today we are discussing the fifth Best Picture winner, Grand Hotel. My name is Sean Wathen, and joining me today are Sky Wathen. Hello. And Nicole Moomy. That's me. Before we get to our film this week, let's chat briefly about the history of the fifth Academy Awards. The Fifth Academy Awards were held on November 18, 1932, and honored the films released between August 1, 1931, and July 31, 1932. Walt Disney created a special animated short film just for the banquet called Parade of the Award Nominees. It featured Mickey Mouse leading a parade of caricatured nominees for Best Actor and Best Actress. He is assisted by Minnie Mouse, Clarabelle Cow, Pluto, and various other classic characters. This was the first movie in which Mickey Mouse appeared in color, and he wore green shorts instead of his iconic red ones. And Pluto is gray in the short rather than yellow. Grand Hotel became the only Best Picture winner to be nominated for Best Picture and nothing else. It was the last film to win Best Picture without a Best Director nomination until Driving Miss Daisy. This was the first and last ceremony in which there was a tie for Best Actor. This year introduced short films to the awards. The 12 Academy Award categories this year were Outstanding Production, a.k.a. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Original Story, Best Adaptation, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Recording, Best Short Subject Cartoon, Best Live Action Short Subject Comedy, Best Live Action Short Subject Novelty. And the honorary award was given to Walt Disney for the creation of Mickey Mouse. The Academy Awards statuette depicts a knight holding a crusader's sword standing on a reel of film with five spokes. The five spokes represent the original branches of the Academy. Actors, writers, directors, technicians, and producers. And that's how we will break down each of our reviews of the Best Picture winners. Today we are discussing the Best Picture winner, Grand Hotel. The film won over Aerosmith, Bad Girl, The Champ, Five Star Final, One Hour With You, Shanghai Express, and The Smiling Lieutenant. Grand Hotel is a lavish adaptation of the successful Broadway play of the same name. At a luxurious Berlin hotel between World War I and World War II, the once wealthy Baron Felix von Geigen supports himself as a thief and a gambler. One night, the Baron romances one of his marks, the aging ballerina Grusinskaya, and teams with a dying accountant, Otto Kringlein, against his former boss, crooked industrialist Pracing, with the help of Pracing's ambitious stenographer, Flamchen. Directed by Edmund Goulding, the film stars Greta Garbo as Grusinskaya, John Barrymore as Baron Felix von Geigen, Joan Crawford as Flemchen, and Lionel Barrymore as Otto Kringlein as well as Wallace Beery as Pracing. Very impressed with <laughs> the pronunciation of those Yeah, that's, that's why we have Sky do the... Always <laughs> does, like, the description of the movie with the actors' names and stuff like that, because, man, I, it's... I couldn't have gotten through that. <laughs> they didn't, like, adjust them or tweak them when they were making, like, the American version of this, because it is based on a... It's a German play, I yeah. believe, right? Or, yeah, I think it's a German book that Irving Falberg 
turned it into, and a turn play. into a play. I figured they would tweak those little things <laughs> and function so you could keep track of who's who. Mm-hmm. Um, but since we're going to get into specifics, I wanted to recap for our listeners kind of what happens throughout the story because this is going to obviously have spoilers because we always talk about the movie as a whole. But I kind of wanted to get into it because the ending kind of really surprised me um, in a shocking way. Which I guess if it would have to surprise me in a shocking way. <laughs> if it surprised surprise. me in a not shocking way, it wouldn't really be a surprise. But anyway, so the Baron, who has fallen on hard times, ends up becoming a thief and a gambler and tries to steal from the woman who is a ballerina, but ends up falling in love with her and her with him. But he still needs money to pay off a debt of some kind that I think he owes to the bellhop guy. So he tries to win some money by gambling, but that didn't work. So as a last attempt to get some money, he tries to steal from this sleazy businessman, Praising, who catches him and ends up hitting him with something and ends up killing him. And then Praising is caught and arrested. So it's like that ending point really surprised me. And we'll get into it a little bit more later, but I wanted to just recap all of that because it kind of takes a different turn because for the most part, the movie is... I think, I mean, there's drama to it, but it feels very lively and upbeat and kind of a comedy. So it's like a dramedy throughout. But what did you guys think of the actors? I mean, this was one of the first to have such a, this, to me, I called it the OG Avengers movie. Because this was like the first one to put together such big actors. Because you had Joan Crawford, Greta Garbo, John Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore, and so on. So acting-wise, thoughts? I really like the acting a lot, and I was really excited. I Of all those heavy hitters, I think the only one I really was familiar with was Joan Crawford. Yeah. Like, I've always heard about the Barrymore family, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and obviously I know Drew Barrymore, but uh, I, I must have missed out, or just wasn't aware when I was watching them that I was watching Lionel or John, uh, and I thought they were really good. Like, I got it. Like, they yeah. were very good. And very different. Yeah, completely different. And one of them was playing, you know, a more dramatic charmer, and the other one was like kind of the comic relief. And, you know, you know, there was some heart with his story because the Lionel Barrymore character is, uh, you know, you find out in the beginning that he thinks he's dying of, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's where his storyline goes. But I, but I did get, I had never watched a movie with Greta Garbo, so I was really excited about that. It's like, how do I, I know all these icons, but it's like, I must have missed out on some of these movies. She was my least favorite acting-wise. Like, she was kind of wooden to me. And for a while, I was very confused because Joan Crawford looks so different in this movie than the Joan Crawford I have known. Maybe this was Joan Crawford pre some face face work and those crazy eyebrows. (laughs) But, um, But then I had to go back and look. I was like, no, the ballerina is being played by Greta Garbo. And she was just very dramatic. But, I mean, I'm sure that's what... The role was requiring, but it was just a little, little over dramatic. Yeah, for me, I, she was my least favorite. Yeah, I put so too. That I think that she was very cheesy. Especially, mm-hmm. there's a scene where she talks about how I think this is when she's alone before she's, I guess, going to kill herself. About how they didn't even miss me, where she's she missed like going to this play, or she decided not to go or to perform at. Um, yeah, on she's stage like ballerina. a. She's like a prima ballerina of the world people go to see her but she's clearly waning in her career yeah because you find out because when you very first see her because the setup is really great as far as the actors and like how you said when you recapped it it's you know it's so true like it goes to a darker place because when you're in a hotel it's usually for vacation it's usually for a light-hearted break from your life unless you're there for business but that's what this movie is bringing together is all aspects of why people or what brings them to these, you know, hotels yeah. or whatever. And hers is because 
the ballerina she's performing next door. So at first, and you see her getting flowers, so you assume she's like this grand, you know, thing, and everyone's there to see her. But when you hear the interactions between some of her people, you realize, you know, why she's playing this part so severely, too, and like kind of such a diva. She knows her career is going downhill. Mm -hmm. She's not loading the theater. The seats aren't really selling, so Mm -hmm. you kind of are getting that background. So that makes more sense as to why she's breaking down as a character um yeah because when we were as we were watching some of her scenes and stuff i was talking to sky during the movie about how i didn't how i thought she was doing a terrible job and sky mentioned something that maybe she her character is supposed to be on something like maybe she was supposed to be taking drugs or doing something to i don't know because she's going through this depression because then i can't remember how she was was she gonna do pills or something like that because then the Baron ends up stopping her. But yeah, during that scene, I'm like, okay, well, maybe she's supposed to be on something. Right, like she'd already started the process. Yeah, because, but if so, they needed to show it a little bit more because I didn't realize that. But well, if, but depression's not something that was really talked about in the 30s. And I mean, it's just something that everyone sort of knew was a thing, but no one talked, discussed. So it actually seems like kind of a uh, a moment for her to have this very intimate conversation with this person she doesn't know, which she acknowledges herself at one point to be like, I didn't even, you know, I just met you or whatever, but where she's talking about like, basically like she just wants to be alone and she wants to be left alone and she wants to be, you know, and she just, she feels irrelevant and unnecessary, you know, which is it, it kind of a big thing to admit for people of the time. I yeah. Guess. yeah. The you quote know. from Greta Garbo, I want to be alone was listed as the number 30 on the AFI's list of top 100 movie quotes from us films. Yeah. It's where she's like leaning against the doorway and says that she just wants to be alone. But, um, to your point about Joan Crawford though. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. Cause I had only seen her, I think in some of her older movies and stuff where she's like, very over the top and stuff and yeah she's had some work done or some she's gone through some shit, shit yeah. <laughs> and it's like shows on her because when I I didn't even recognize her when I first saw her and she was beautiful and you yeah. can tell like something must have happened I don't know uh, if the studio system like chewed her up and spit her out or like made her do you know go through a bunch of plastic surgery and stuff but she was stunning she was every time she was in the movie, she, like, stole the show. Yeah. I thought she was fantastic. And both of the Barrymores, I thought, did a great job. Uh, Lionel Barrymore, who plays Otto Kringlein, who's, like, this guy who believes he's down, uh, dying and stuff, um, he ends up having this meltdown during this dance that I thought was just so well done. And he just... He, too, was just so interesting in the way he was acting everything out. I thought it was great. Um, John Barrymore as the Baron, his mustache was a little distracting, but <laughs> he was great too. His, we'll, we'll get into this with the technicians. His was, eyeshadow was sort of distracting. No. <laughs> but I did find he was so great, and to me, yeah, I think he was my favorite. Like, what, like I'm now, you know, as I'm, we're well, he was the most interesting in terms of a. He him, was connecting all the him stories. Him and Flam yeah. were the most interesting story arcs. Yes. Flam is Joan Crawford's character, but he definitely was the most progressed. Like progressed character because he goes from he's trying to get I think he's trying to get out from under like a criminal element that he's indebted to yeah like and a so mob they're I trying like to make him, yeah they're trying to make him steal something from Grusinskaya so that he can get out pay his debts basically so he goes from just this kind of grifter to he meets this Kringlein who's this sort of you know dopey 
under underwhelming person but lovable and likable and like he he meets him and he just becomes kind of infatuated with him mm-hmm. and as he as his story progresses he's he ends up he goes in to steal the thing from Gr- I think it's a necklace or something from Grusinskaya and then he meets her and then of course because this is how love happens they fell in love overnight oh, yeah. um, and so then he wants the money because he wants to run away because he wants to get away I don't actually think her. he was going to take the money to like run away with her I think he was going to take the money to pay off his debt so that he could get away yeah then go with her because she was going to travel right and, and he was going to he didn't want the danger I think to follow them so right. he wa- still wanted to pay off his debt in some way and then go with her right and I do think he wanted money because of it's the male attitude of they, the woman can't pay for me, you know. Yeah. But but he wants to he now he the motivation for paying off his debt becomes about the this love that he wants to pursue, and then as he goes through these trials and tribulations of trying to get the money, at one point, and Kringlein has like cashed out all of his bank accounts, and he's just going on like the grand adventure for the end of his life, basically. Yeah. At one point, they play a card game, and Kringlein, who's never played cards in his life, wins all the money, money. because he just has beginner's luck. Yeah. And he and the he's Baron so goes to steal his wallet because he's so drunk, and then because he feels remorse and he feels sadness and over this sweet bumbling man he can't take it so he basically like goes and gives up on this dream to follow her and all this stuff you know and then he goes to try and steal from the evil industrialist pricing and then he gets killed so that's yeah. horrible yeah that that seems pretty gruesome too it's with a telephone yeah oh he bashes that what it was? His head yeah that's how what he hit him with yeah but there's also like a well we can get to it when we get to writing and stuff too but the, but i i think there's the most progression for him as a character and john barrymore does a really good job of making him feel sympathetic while still doing kind of bad things you yeah know? and the only th- and i thought all oh, that was so great and like i was so glad because and that a lot of these movies that we've kind of talked about before, I, I have no emotional attachment because yeah. there's really no story. To, but this had, I mean, even though it's in a hotel and there's all these vignettes that are leading up to like the big picture of their interactions, I care about a lot of the characters yeah. in this yeah. movie and I, I know what is motivating them. Yeah. And I feel like it comes out in the acting. The only scenes that are a little bit off for me is John Barrymore is so good and Greta Garbo was so off. Their scenes together, it's hard to watch somebody who's struggling with their acting yeah. with somebody that's so good. Usually a really great actor brings the other person up but she's so choppy to me. I felt the same I didn't way with... have the same feeling you guys had about Greta Garbo. I think that A is kind of part of her shtick. Yeah. And B, I think she's supposed to feel stinted and halted and all these things because she's she's contemplating suicide and she knows that her career is ending and she's supposed to be this I think she's Russian so it's, she has this whole speech about how they were tr- tr- treated like little military soldiers yeah. and that they were beat into submission into who they were going to be as ballerinas and that there's rigidity and you know all these things and so it's like she can't be some soft warm Woman, because that's just not the life she's ingrained in. She was, you know, she had precision and and routine and all those kinds of things. And so that's part of what's leading to her depression is that the thing that was beat into her to be who she is, who's the, which is the defining concept of her as a ballerina, is now waning and dwindling, and the the popularity of her is is subsiding. So then to find someone who Again, granted, we can go on expositions about love and overnight and all those things, but let's just go there and, and go with it. And the thief. That... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but then Tried to find to someone in necklace. the Baron who sees her for her and is and uplifts her and makes her feel good about herself. That's a, like Because then there's a turning point with the next day. She goes to the performance and it's the best performance of her current career and everyone loves her and it was amazing and she's back and now she's selling out all the theaters on the grand tour that she's going on 
in the future because her heart's been uplifted. Well, her, they're know? both broken people, and he sees that because he right. has witnessed oh, yeah. her. Right. And she must have, like, a piece of that, too, when he has to confess, like, yeah. hey, I'm going to lay it all out for you. I'm here I'm, to steal your stuff. I'm here stuff to steal your and... stuff. I'm on hard times. So they're both yeah. broken people, but... They, they just didn't have, I mean, maybe it's just the chemistry to me that sure. Joan Crawford and, and you're supposed to really, I think, be kind of rooting for them. Yeah. And I was more rooting for, I'm like, get rid of the aging ballerina. Go, go flam. Well, I actually, yeah. the flam storyline is, is strange because he like sees her and ha- kind of sets mm-hmm. up a date with her and like, they're going to have a whole thing and she's stunning and like funny and sassy and smart and gumption all over the screen and all those things. And then he like. Puts her aside because of the because he falls in love ballerina that he's fallen in love with, and but then she goes on this weird manipulative path where she's gonna like become the kept woman of this businessman. It's very strange. Well, that storyline was sort of confusing to me. The flam one yeah. with um, pricing, yeah, because and I even so when I was looking it up just to be like, am I interpreting this correctly? She comes in with her typewriter and then says. Then she shows him pictures of her modeling and holds up a magazine. And that is supposed to imply, but I didn't get this implication, but this is what is written about that, Mm -hmm. that she was basically saying, if you'll advance my, I'll be more. If you advance my career. And that's why she's in the bet that, like, that leads to later. So she's basically sort of offering herself up, but to be a kept woman they won't say it outright because of the time, but to sleep with him, I believe, I didn't is the implication. Was, well, I knew that's where it went. Right. I didn't realize she was offering. But apparently that's the scene that sets up oh. that she's willing. But I'm oh. like, that didn't... I didn't get that at no, all. No, I didn't get that at all. at all. All I got was that he he was like a goody-two-shoes kind of guy, but he's so desperate for this merger to go through. And then, I guess because he just can't help himself with this beautiful woman, he decides to completely change and in- invite her to come along with him on his trips and all these things and make her turn her into that woman. And she's, like, going along with it because she needs the money, basically. Mm-hmm. So... Because she seems conflicted about... She does? The, yeah. Oh, about, like, when they're in the room. When she yeah. sees him. Right. Her, like, that's all where it all comes together. I thought she's it like, was... can I really go through with this? Yeah. So it was like... And it was... Was she going to sleep with him, right? Right. I mean, that's what the implication was. Well, I didn't was. see him as a goody two-shoes because he kept lying. Because he was going to lose yeah. the merger, so then he lied about it. It well, felt like he was constantly trying to manipulate other people because things were falling apart. And he kept talking about how he's been married 28 years, and yet now he's going to take this woman with him. I think that... I, I don't... Goody two-shoes is the wrong word. But, like, the concept that at the beginning... And, I mean, maybe it's just supposed to be, oh, this is my story, but really I have a woman in every port. But I, I, it felt to me like the start of him... And he's a weird character, just progression-wise anyway. But it, the start of him was like, I'm an upstanding businessman, and I'm corrupting as this merger is happening because I need this to go through or my company is going to die. Like, and I have to prove to my father that I can do this. And like that almost like the, because I, I do think there's a commentary on capitalism and industrialism in this movie where Kringlein is the, the communist worker essentially. And, mm-hmm. He's the corrupt capitalist who's t- yeah. trying to take on... Because Kringlein used to work for him and has that scene where he Correct. goes off on him. Yeah, and that he's, he doesn't take yeah. care of his people and all this. So I, I do think there is a po- socio-political commentary in this movie as well, even though it's probably kind of semi-quiet, because it is pre-World War II. There is a very pro-German, pro-communist community in the States at this time. Like, so it's not... And especially within Hollywood. So I don't actually think that it's... I, I think there's a, a little bit of subversiveness to this to the commentary on, on that, 
that is the juxtaposition of those two particular characters. And so, but I think that, I think part of that commentary is the corruption of pricing as the story progresses for him, where he starts off as this upstanding businessman, even though his workers don't see him that way. And he, you know, takes advantage of his workers, which is part of the whole, you know, commentary of capitalism, communism, etc. Right. But then as the story progresses and he's trying to dive further into the capitalism of it all by merging these companies and doing this big sale and proving to his father that he can do it and yada yada, he corrupts further, further, further. Oh, and then he lies. Into, and then he becomes a big liar and into, part of that corruption is I'm going to cheat on my wife and, you know. Yeah, to me it was like he was losing the ownership and control of his company, so he was going to take ownership. He was going to own life. Of, yeah. Yeah, yes. This woman was going to be, yes. you know, representative of him. It could be because... I didn't get some of that too because I didn't really like this actor even though ironically yeah. he won best actor for a different movie the same year where he was an alcoholic an ex-boxer who becomes an alcoholic in The Champ but in this movie I, I thought he was actually miscast like he was supposed to be a former they kept calling him general mm-hmm. so I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be like an ex-military guy but I was I don't know, he was the one actor that kind of threw me off other than Greta Garbo I thought it was a little over the top I thought he kind of was too or just miscast I'm surprised that neither of the Barrymores were nominated for varying reasons one because I thought they were great in this and if it won Best Picture so it was obviously you know a highly regarded film and also Hollywood loves the Barrymores they loved them then and yeah. they, they still love the legacy now so I'm surprised that they weren't up for it important to note in the acting of this movie um Joan Crawford and many people that I believe are not supposed to be American just don't even bother with yeah. an accent. With an yeah. accent. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Um, the only people I feel like that have, I mean, well, Greta Garbo has an accent in general because she herself, I believe, was Swedish. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had, was, you know, had an accent in the film and did praising he'd had. Yeah, he had, yeah, he he had, had a bit of accent. a German accent. Yeah. 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 But that was it. I mean, when it comes to the writing of this, because it's based on a book that then became a play and stuff, the only scene that I had an issue with is one of the scenes we've talked about already, about it's when the Baron breaks into the ballerina's apartment and then they have their scenes together. I love the scene of him breaking in. I thought that was mm-hmm. very well staged, very well lit. And the way they played with, the, like, the maid came in and opened the door and he's supposedly behind it, but then when she shuts the door, he's gone. Mm-hmm. I thought that was um, a fun trope that you see, like, many years later. Um but yeah, because when he gets, he doesn't really get caught. I guess he ends up just coming out and talking to her mm-hmm. and just kind of says that he was, he's in love with her. And then when she asks him to leave, he says no, <laughs> because he's afraid that she's going to commit suicide. But it's that the fact that he just shows up in her, his, her place, refuses to leave. They keep, they start talking and then they fall in love. And he literally says he was in her room because he's been following her and wanted to smell the air. The mm-hmm. air around her, the air of her room, and I'm like, this is so creepy <laughs> that he was that he he tells her this, and then uh, so they end up like talking all night. They fall asleep, and then the next morning, there's a line where I put this in quotes: "I never felt a love like this." And I'm like, yeah, no shit. It's because you just <laughs> broke into this woman's place, forced her to stay with you, and talk to her all night. I don't know that scene. It just and then she loves felt him. So weird, yeah. Well, and then yeah. she loves him because I get it. He, 
stopped her from killing herself, but I don't know. That scene was the only one that really bothered me. I mean, I have, I have security alarms and stuff on my house, so I won't find a love like that. <laughs> <laughs> if one day you just come up and there's a guy there, it's just like, I've been following you for a while, and I wanted to smell the air see that's my, around you. I'll see him on my porch and camera. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I, I really liked the writing. I thought there was some great stuff. Um, I like there's a line that I think uh, Kringleine says that if a man doesn't know death, then he doesn't know life. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that perfectly summed up his character who believes that he's dying. And he may have been dying and going, you know, then he just like, the hell with it. I'm going to spend all my money. I'm going to go for all this. But he ends up making friends and connections, it feels like, for the first time. Yeah. Because he knows because the he end is go. coming, and yeah, and it feels like he lets go, and yeah, he has like an interesting ending. But I, I love the way the movie book ends with the same line mm-hmm. by the same character, who's really not the doctor, yeah, yeah. The, anybody that we really follow too much, oh, yeah. and just like nothing ever happens here in the Grand Hotel. And it's so funny because life is happening. Like this movie to me is like life is happening around us. All everybody has their own stories, yeah. and they interweave and this or that, and people you're on the freeway with that maybe you don't realize you might know them. Like Later in life, mm-hmm. or whatever, but to somebody else, it's just an ordinary day. Yeah, and I, I love stuff like that. That's right up my alley. So the, the direct quote is: "Grand Hotel, always the same. People come, people go. Nothing ever happens." Yeah, when well, really all these things, you know. Yeah. The author and playwright Vicky Baum, um, who wrote uh, the book, obviously, and the play. Um, said that it was based on a true story about a scandal at a hotel involving a stenographer and an industrial magnet, and it was based on her own experiences working as a chambermaid at two well-known Berlin hotels. So she kind of combined oh, all cool. that, that is really to create cool. the story. But I loved the balance of the characters. This, I think, is part writing, part directing, mm-hmm. because you have so many storylines going that are going to interweave, and in the wrong hands of the wrong writer or wrong director, you could have gotten confused, not been able to follow certain people, not understand where they're going with. But the way it was written and directed, you spend the right amount of time with the right amount of people and the way it intertwines. You never, I never felt lost in the story. You always kind of knew, mm-hmm. even if there were like confusing turns of why is that person acting like this? I feel like then they would later answer it. So I, I thought the dialogue was well done. The characters, like you said earlier, like you cared about them. And I felt like this was a script that if you were to show me a piece of dialogue... I'd be able to tell you which character said it because mm-hmm. each character is so different in the way that they talk. That's true. I feel like you could pick out, and that's just to me the sign of great writing, that each of these characters is so different, mm-hmm. but the way that they're able to connect and what they go through, you really care, which again, I think is what made the ending so shocking to me when the Baron was killed because I cared. It's like, oh no, it's like now the fucking ballerina is not, not going to, yeah. yeah, they're not going to be together. And it's like, how's Kringleine going to take this? Because he's already like dying, and this was like his buddy who's now gone and what is the stenographer going to do and then when this guy goes to prison what is the stenographer going to do then and yeah I think he just cared so much and it was the writing and the directing I account for both of those just did such a great job and because it all takes place in the hotel we don't actually get to see the ballerina not see him show up at the train station we're just yeah. headed to Italy right I believe yeah because yeah. like the people that she's with knows he died and they're like, don't they don't want to tell her because she just had the best performance of her life she sold out all these shows yeah. they're like this will crush her so they lie and tell her like, oh he's going to meet you at the station come on let's go let's go and hustle her out and mm. never see that yeah. moment which was a gutsy move but it was so well done let's watch it again right now <laughs> <laughs> I actually I really like too that Flam and Kringleine end up going off together. Like, there is something a little bit, um, just slightly manipulative about Flam's character, where, oh, yeah. you know, and opportunistic. 
But throughout the movie, they've seeded that she and Kringlein just like each other's company, and yeah. like that he she finds him kind of adorable, and like there's not necessarily a romantic feeling there. I don't think on Flame's part, but she she champions him and she like wants to see him have fun and do good and all these things so i kind of like that they end up going off together in the end because it's a it's an easy out for her and you know and he wants the company because he's dying yeah, yeah. so like it's kind of this perfect bookend to their stories too that i think is really sweet oh, yeah as far as the directing goes um initially the real press at the time they started to try and create drama from this set because this was the first time that you had all these different actors coming on. So the press would release these stories about how this movie was going to be a tumultuous clash of egos. And some journalists refer to the movie as Battle of the Stars and were trying to egg on these different actors to fight. But the more peaceful reality is that the actors all got along extremely well, were very professional, and a lot of people equate that to this director who had this reputation of being very diplomatic when handling big personalities. So I feel like he did. He had a lot of this 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 type of stuff does not happen of at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically um, each studio produced these different uh, all-star musical reviews in the 1920s and the 30s to showcase the splendors of sound and the, you know, like to change things up. And the conventional wisdom was that you had one to two stars in a movie each you know, in each movie, thus you can maximize your profits because you're forcing your audience to go see this movie for this actor, this movie for this actor, and so on, and you're able to make more money that way. So the But that philosophy changed after this movie where you put them all in one and it ended up grossing tons of money. Again, it's the OG Avengers, but it's like putting all that together, it became the highest grossing movie in studio history. So then other movies started doing that, and even this same producer at MGM created a movie called Dinner at Eight that immediately was the first all-star comedy right into production. So this changed, like, so much, and a lot of it is because of this director who was able to handle these personalities and put them together, and the actors, too, of just acting professional with each other. There was no drama on set. Which is so interesting, because I feel like a lot of people don't maybe realize that. I mean, people obviously who live here in Los Angeles or work in the industry, they don't realize that that's a huge aspect to a director's job. Oh, yeah. Is to... And it, and it's a, one of the most difficult aspects of, an actor, of the director's job is because sometimes people are just difficult to work with. Yeah. But they have to try to be manage the barometer of temperament and emotion yeah so many aspects to get the scene that they want yeah and to balance that out and i feel like i sometimes i remember kind of being surprised you know when i was working in you know film that that that's yeah they spend a lot of the time with the actors and and there's various things that directors will do to get thing you know things like that like make them hang out if it's an ensemble cast or whatever the thing is but it's you know, the emotional aspect of doing that. And, like, it's interesting that they all got along these big personalities. And when I hear stuff like that, I do always think, oh, that had to be a really good director then because that's one of their jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Everybody. Yeah. Um, I did like the scene, too. I mentioned it before where the Baron is crawling between the buildings when he's sneaking. I thought that was very well done and very well shot. Um, when Kring- The one scene that I thought was out of place is when Kringleine comes home drunk one night. The camera starts on this crane and kind of moves down and follows him. It just felt like a... I mean, I guess it was early on, so it was trying to show that he's alone, Mm -hmm. but the scene went on for a really long time, and I felt like that could have been cut, but that was the only one directing-wise 
I thought didn't really work because the rest of it was very cleverly shot. I love the overhead shots of the phone operators and stuff. I thought that was a great way yeah. to show that, and that was fun and interesting. The way that they staged all the different scenes and whatnot. I just thought that this director just did an amazing job all the way around. I love a spinning hotel door to go in <laughs> and out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like its own symbol of like what's going on. You, don't you? Don't we come in and then come out at the end off of that door? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the technicians, uh, speaking of that lobby scene, I was reading about how to prevent noise, because again, I thought the sound was excellent in this movie. Mm-hmm. Compared to all the other ones where they have like static and stuff like that, I felt like this is the first time they got uh, room tone and actually put it through the whole movie, mm-hmm. so then that way, if no one's talking, you don't have that dead silence, you actually have the hum or whatever or is going buzz, on. Yeah. So I feel like they did that. And during the lobby scene, because there were so many people walking in and out, they had people wear uh, woolen socks over their shoes so that the the they microphones wouldn't pick yeah. up. Yeah, because they were actually walking on a marble floor. Oh. So you wouldn't pick that up. And you can see in the background some of the guys, you could see that their shoes are real dark and it goes up their leg. <laughs> so it's like they're either wearing boots or it's a sock that's like pulled up. Some of the women with their heels, they must have worn padding underneath because you couldn't see it as much. But I thought that was an interesting, clever way to capture sound. And they did. The mm-hmm. sound was great. Set design was great for this hotel. The lighting was great. Again, that Baron stealing that stuff. I love the use of shadows. So the lighting was real done. Um, the light when Greta Garbo like returns into the room and the Baron is still hiding is like fantastic, the way that they use shadows and whatnot. And um, I talked about this with the writing and directing, but it's the same with the editing. The balance of all these different stories that you have to cut between. You can't spend too long over here because then you're going to forget what's going on over here. And all that, I just thought was just very well done, edited-wise. And uh, I like the use of wipes. I don't think we had seen that in a movie where, like, you know, Star Wars ended up using it a lot. But it's like where a wipe goes across the screen mm-hmm. to transition. You just don't hard cut. Occasionally there were wipes in this movie. And I thought that that was, like, fun and different. And there was um, a score. There was actual music yeah. in this movie. Because, you know, some of the other movies, there was no... You know, the sound was very wooden and then uh they didn't have scores a lot of them so but this had a lovely score that i think dipped in and out and was a nice change of pace from like the previous films but what did you guys think of the technician side well interesting so cedric gibbons was the art director of the movie he fascinatingly didn't get nominated for this but he he goes he will be nominated 39 times in his life and win 11 oscars he also was one of the original 36 founding members of the Academy and helped design the statuette of the Academy Awards. Oh, nice. So Jeez. it's interesting because there's a whole commentary about how the staging of this movie like changed the way that art direction was handled in a lot of movies because there's that big 360 round table so you can go through the whole dynamics of the stage with the camera and the characters and see what's happening in the background and all that. So the, you know, the bellhop desk, if you will. Um, so it's it's interesting because he's like this prolific art director, but didn't even get nominated for this one. He was nominated previously, and then he'll get obviously go on to get nominated a lot. But um, but it's just I think that the art direction plays a, because a hotel can feel really boring and stagnant. But I think that the art direction plays a, a huge role and is very much a character because the hotel itself is a character. So I, you know, it's, I thought that was just really beautifully handled and well done because also. In a hotel, one of the concepts of a hotel is most of the rooms are the same. Yeah. So he had to do different things to make each one feel like you knew whose room you were in. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is totally interesting and, and like you don't really think that much about it, but it it just speaks to how much set design and and set decorating 
play into how you view what's going on, you know where you are, and all those kind of and things. how the story is told. Yeah. yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's funny. I don't even you don't even I didn't even think about something like that. But it is true, you know, when you, you just see, you're, oh, we're in pricing, or oh, you, you definitely knew when you were in the ballerinas room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That, I forgot to talk about really in great. acting that um, the Dachshund did an amazing the job. The Dachshund did do an amazing job. <laughs> the Baron job. had a little Dachshund dog. I was and worried about that. Yes, dog. right? Oh, the second he died, I was immediately like, who's going to get the dog? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, they show, like, <laughs> the bellhop. The bellhop. took him out for a walk or yeah, whatever like, takes him. Yeah, like, walking him yeah. at the end. But, you know, I was like, oh, my God, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Poor doggy. Um, so the film as a whole was made for seven hundred thousand dollars, and it it on its initial release made one point seven million dollars. So already a million dollar wow. profit to that, um, making it one of the most successful movies of all time. And it was the biggest Hollywood hit of nineteen thirty two. And the original MGM Grand in Las Vegas, where Bally's now stands, was built to resemble the design of the hotel in this film. That's cool. It has since changed, but the original design was this hotel inside and out, especially the lobby. They said it was identical wow. to the movie. I'm sad that it's not still there. I want to go see it. <laughs> now it's Bally's. Yeah. But as a whole, obviously, um, it seems like we liked the, the movie. So do you think it holds up today? And would you recommend people see it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you think about old school Hollywood good, you know, yeah. I feel like you get, because you get the actors in it, you get, you know, all those things. Would, if that's what you want to hunker down and like have with your afternoon or your evening when you're... Like I'm gonna watch an old an old Hollywood classic. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a great one. And I feel like, at least for me, this isn't one I hear about a lot. When you hear about yeah. the old, yeah. you know what I mean. I, I don't. So, and I don't. Even, and I love old movies, even though I feel like it sounds like I haven't watched any of No Barrymore's, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I swear, I love yeah. them. But um, yeah, this one I was really shocked that I hadn't ever hadn't seen it. That had never yeah. come my way yeah. before. Now, yeah, you know with this all star cast too. It's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, you hear the names and you recognize them, even if you haven't seen them and stuff before. It's like you know the name Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Definitely think it holds up. Very well done. This is out of the, this is number five. Yeah. Out of the five movies we've done, this one is my favorite so far. Agreed. Agreed. And I Agreed. definitely think people should see it. It's, yeah. It's, it's not one, not even for just like film history lesson. It's just a solid movie that's no, very and well I think done. It's, I think it's relatable even in today's context because yeah. the idea of being in a hotel and what's all, how you meet someone in a brief interaction and whether that is just a fleeting thing or it becomes a, a moment that means something to you the rest of your life, you know? I mean, that yeah. happens all the... It's, it's the idea of wa- like walking down a street or like sliding doors, right? Right and left and whatever. And like you... Just the, the way we all meet people as a day goes on set against the backdrop of a hotel specifically. I think that's something that everyone can relate to and, and wondering, you know, what's happening in the room next door and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope now when I go to hotels, I'll be like, I hope nobody's getting their head bashed in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they're all wireless and plastic now, so yeah. I, I don't know. This was like a hardcore yeah, rotary they phone. They don't have the weight that they had then. Jeez. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that will wrap up our discussion of the Grand Hotel. Thank you and good night. That will wrap up this episode of the Envelope Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please let us know your thoughts on the film we discussed here today. We are a Cinema Squad production presented on the Cinema Squad Podcast channel. You can reach anyone here at thecinemasquad.com. So just go there to email us, check out our bios, and keep up with the latest episodes. And please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That is extremely helpful. So thank you, and good night.